Hi there. I am back with another great episode. This is a return guest, Rini Langmuir. And when she was on before, we got on the topic in our off-camera discussion that she knew a lot about and had a lot of opinions about navigating relationships with adult children. And I have adult children. Maybe you have adult children. So this episode is so valuable for parents of adult children. First of all, she talks about her background with her two children. She has had to navigate a lot. So it was very interesting to hear her story because she and I have very different stories. Perspective is everything when it comes to this stuff. And she is an ex-teacher, so she researches everything. She has a lot of information. She's done a lot of work in her own personal development as a parent of adult children. So we talked about a lot of the reasons why we may have difficult relationships or have just differences in opinion with our adult kids. So it's a great discussion about that. And we get into, she calls them tools. I call them tips, but they're helpful suggestions about what you can do to improve. Because even if you have a good relationship, I think all relationships can be made better and improved. So she gives lots of great examples of tools that she's used. Some are books, some are techniques, and I offer mine. So it's really a valuable conversation between the two of us that I would love you to listen in on. I think it would be helpful. So let's get to the episode and see what you can pick up and how it may relate to your own life and offer you a new perspective. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Living Your Spark Second Half. I have a return guest and I don't have those too often, but when I have a great conversation and we have more to discuss, I am all about bringing somebody back. So Rini Langmuir is back and she is all decked out in her bright green. In, in fact, my, my Zoom outfit. Oh my gosh, it looks great. So if you're on YouTube, check her out. But my mother-in-law loves lime green. It's like her favorite yeah, her favorite, her email is even yeah, Lime Green. Watching. Yeah, <laughs> Lime Green Grammy is what we go call her. So yes, I am excited to talk about this topic because I think it's so relatable to my audience. And so if you are a parent of an adult child, this episode is for you. Rini and I both have adult children. She has a lot of thoughts on the topic, as do I. And so we're going to talk about this in two parts. We're going to talk about why we may have problems as our kids get older, communication problems, just difficulties in navigating that new relationship because we're no longer in control. And then talk about some of our tips based on our experience. And yeah, that I think is going to be a great conversation. Anything to improve the life of your children and you, in fact, because it's not fun when you have issues in the family. So yes, let's get right into it. Rini, what do you have for us? 
Okay. So I wanted to tell my story first. Okay. And I'm going to start with a disclaimer. I doubt very much either of my two kids have ever read anything that I wrote, and I've read a lot. They never ask me about it. But anytime I write about adult children, I always make sure that if they read it, it would not offend them. So today, anything that I say about them, I want it to be that it would not offend them. I'm going to just speak really objectively and not relate too much personal stuff. So that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing I want everybody to know is that my difficulties with my kids are probably like level 10. Compared to my friends, I've had a little bit more than the ordinary. 10 and, out of 10? Yeah. And oh, I think wow. I, I take it. And I think my biggest problem in my life in terms of suffering is that I just took a lot of stuff so personally when it was maybe more outside of my domain. So the reason why I say it's level 10 is because I had two traumas and I used to always just say, yeah, but these things happen, but they had so many loving people around them and I loved them and gave them all my attention. And I would always poo-poo the traumas, but I really do think that the traumas have something to do with this. Let me ask you a question. Sure. When people do have traumas, they can be unrelated to the relationship that is at distress, right? Yeah, it's just what's going on in your family. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah, and I think about traumas could be like maybe the relationship you had with your mother. And I think oh, of my yeah. mom and her mother, that carries down through generations. Absolutely. Those dynamics yeah, that, I think things are definitely, so, yeah, yeah. definitely generational. The yeah. two things that I'm going to reveal right now are not, but okay. just in my young lifetime. So the first one was that when my daughter, who is now... 44, when she was 20 months old, her father was killed climbing Mount Rainier. Mm. So that's like a really huge thing. Now, believe me, I felt it. And it was obvious with her from the get go. And I oh. tried to get help for her when she was little. She had this wonderful, happy mom one day. And then all of a sudden her mother's out of commission. The grandparents are coming over to take care of mm. her. Mom's crying all the time. So that happened to her. You know, it happened to you too. And Oh, yeah. I think, Back oh my, my gosh. Parenting. Yeah. But she's so young. She doesn't remember that. I mean, she does subconsciously, but yeah. That's I mean, stored in that. her hard drive. And I took her to a child psychiatrist when she was really little. And she said it happened before she had language and it really gets in your hard drive because you can't ask wow. any questions and you don't know what's going on. It's just all of a sudden everything's changed. So that was the first thing. And then I remarried and my son, who is now 39, he would say, aren't you glad Ira died? Because if he didn't die, I wouldn't be here. So like stuff was going on with him too around this issue. And I remarried a wonderful man who I'm not married to now. <laughs> That's the second trauma. And we had, I thought, a really great family experience because my second husband was a Jewish educator in this wonderful congregation. Everybody adopted. He, they were so happy he got married because he was 39 and he married this woman and then they had a baby and she had this adorable little girl with curly hair and they adopted us and we had huge extended family and he came from a wonderful family with loving people. So I thought everything should be fine, but then it just didn't turn out that way when they became young adults. So the my son, he just kind of stopped talking to me when he was a teenager. We stayed together till he graduated high school. 
And, and so was he going back and forth between mom and dad? No, oh, he only no. wanted to stay with me. My ex-husband had a place for him, but he only wanted to stay with me. But he just stopped talking. And he had physical problems like rashes and ear mm. infections and stuff like that. And to this day, he doesn't really talk to anybody in the family. He is very, very closed down. So he was living with you and not talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's a personality type with him too. He's really an introvert, very introverted person. Everybody's been trying to kind of break down the gates of Larry, but we have not been able to. Mm. And my daughter, through the years, there were times when she'd stop talking to me and she would never tell me why. Never. Now, we have, I would say I have a very amicable relationship with both kids. My daughter lives in Portland, Oregon, and she's married to a wonderful warm guy. And we text, we only speak like once a month. When she lived around here, we'd go out to lunch all the time. I don't know what's going on in her day-to-day -day life, but it's an amicable relationship. I'm grateful. My son, it's like I've kind of forced the issue and try to meet up with him. He lives uh, outside of New York City. And I'll meet him halfway. We'll meet for lunch when I can get him to do it. And it takes a lot of doing, maybe four times a year. And then I text him, like, did you drive in the snow? Is it dangerous? Like every blue moon. And he will respond like in a day or two. Mm. So <laughs> Now, does he work and does he have oh, yeah, relationships? Yeah. He doesn't have uh, female relationships. He only has had two through the years. He was a social worker right now. During the pandemic, he transitioned to food and nonprofits, and he runs a cafeteria in a hospital. And my daughter was a food writer, and she's trying to get a wine store off the ground. <laughs> mm. Do they so, keep in touch? Or no. He went through a very distressing time. I won't give you the particulars. And she was really there for him. We all were. It was a medical issue. And he hasn't met her new husband yet. We adored her old husband. And all of a sudden she left her old husband for a high school flame, mm, <laughs> which, has first worked love. Out, yeah. which has worked out. They flew into Newark, which was not that far from where he lives. And he didn't make time to meet him. And I really think they have contact. So those are the circumstances. And have you remarried saying. now? Oh yeah. I have a great third husband. Yeah. And so <laughs> there's that dynamic. And they both love my my okay. husband. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially my daughter. She adores him. That's the dynamic. And I had to go through hell with these two kids. So I've developed good tools. What were you we going to talk about first? I know you said tools is in there. Yeah. But... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wanted to talk about why we have oh, yeah. problems. And okay, I'd like, yeah. clearly that traumas is one and resolving them. Because I think there might be an awareness that something happened, but nobody ever deals with it. Yeah, this was the thing in my life that has given me the most pain for a million years, it feels like. I feel like I'm over the top of it. When my son takes a day or two to respond to a text, it rears its ugly head. But I've done a lot of research. Did you see that article that I wrote on for the Ethel about parenting adult children? Yeah. And that's really the one that has really good reasons that other people can relate to besides trauma, because it's more than trauma. Mm -hmm. so first of all, I'd like to start with us. Why are we suffering? So there are a lot of reasons why we suffer over this stuff. 
And one of them is biological. It's because you had this kid in your belly for nine months and reared them till they were 18. There's also this idea of, I have the article with me so I can pronounce the words correctly, mycochimerism, which is a scientific term that somebody found it by accident that the cells from the placenta actually transfer over into the mother's body and they're in there like forever. So you have this, like the cells of your kid inside your body, which is totally unbelievable. Mm. The other thing is we being people that want to be successful, want to have some evidence that all our hard work, we raised a great kid. Why is this kid not acting the way we want them to? It's really hurtful to us. But that one thing that I would like to stress to your listeners, which I think is the most important thing, is that. I think when moms are suffering, they're focusing on their own pain. Their own pain is so great that it's very difficult to take their kid's point of view. And the way that you can really flip the paradigm is to start being compassionate to your child what they've gone through for me, these traumas, which I don't know what it's like because I was raised in an intact family. I don't know what it is. Read every book about it, but I don't know what it feels like. What they've gone through, all of the society changes that have happened, like the economy, how much college costs, being in debt, not being able to find an apartment that you can afford, being difficult to even find partners because nobody goes out person to person they do everything online climate change there it goes and the, the pandemic the pandemic like we didn't have to deal with that yeah you cannot imagine like these high school kids that went through and kids who were freshmen in college that went through years of schooling at home we honestly we cannot know what that's like and it's like we have to start having some compassion for what they've gone through since I've had cutoff, cutoffs with my daughter and the icy treatment with my son, I have to say that there's got to be something to it. You don't cut your mom off for no reason at all. I do think that I will never find out. I will never understand it. I really do from either child. I don't know why my daughter did it to me twice. I don't know why. How long did she go for that? Long time. Period. Like when she was in her 20s, maybe a year. And you would try to reach out to her and she wouldn't respond with no real understanding of why. Exactly. Oh, that's tough. And recently, around the time she was getting married the first time, she was like really mad at me. And I did discover some things in my research about why she might have been mad at me. And it was because I was like caught in a squeeze between my job, my aging parents, all this kind of stuff. And I had a lot of psychological baggage. And one of the big reasons that a lot of kids cut their parents off is because the parents dump on them. Mm. And she told me that I treated her like a friend. She goes, I am not your friend. I am your daughter. If you want to talk about this stuff, you call up one of your friends. And I didn't really get that for years until I just read it. Mm. (laughs) I just read it. There's this woman, Carolyn Hacks, who writes like a, she's like the new modern Dear Abby. And she just had an article last week, which said, 
don't make your emotional stuff your daughter's problem. And I think that was why she cut me off the last time. Yeah. And it's interesting because even though there wasn't a long gap between the time you remarried, because the ages of your kids are like five years, yeah. but still for a while, it was just you and her. Exactly. So and I can imagine, even though she's little, that it was. That up. <laughs> yeah. Because the psychiatrist I took her to said that she thought I was her sister. Because my parents would take us out to dinner all the time to try to make us feel better. And I always sat in the back seat with her and she thought that I was her sister when she was four years old. And you subconsciously probably felt that way in some ways I, too. Not really. <laughs> well, if she feels that she's getting that from you. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah it's I telling. Felt the, I felt all the yeah. weight of the responsibility of being a yeah. parent. Yeah. That's but so interesting. If, but if for your listeners or viewers, try to flip the paradigm and try to understand what's going on with them because it doesn't come out of nowhere. Now, one of the things that I read, I think is a lightweight excuse for why people get mad at their parents. And it was that they think their parents should be able to solve their psychological issues. They think their parents should be in tune with whatever they're feeling at the moment. And I think that it's absurd and it's something only a young person would think, but they might withhold the relationship because of it. It's another example of how we have no idea how they're experiencing us as parents. Right. Yeah. And it goes back to because you were talking about the different things they've gone through in their years as developing and even as adults dealing with the pandemic, clearly there were adults. My kids were adults when they dealt with that, but they had kids who had to deal with it. So the generational gap is a real thing. And you don't think about it like you thought about it with your parents and your grandparents. But when yeah. it's you, it's like, what, you know, it's like, yeah, why don't you they just, think like me? I think it's huge. You just reminded me of one other thing. My reference point for how a relationship with my adult kids should feel is the way it was with my parents. In my generation, in my little Jewish neighborhood of row houses, everybody was super close. And even though I moved away from that area, my parents were very instrumental in raising my kids. And my mother, I spoke to every day. And so I think like speaking to her once a month is so foreign to me. It mm. never feels comfortable. I have I a theory. I don't know if it's true or not. You've done the research. But what's interesting is what happened in my family. It's like it skips generations because my mother was not there for me when uh, I was a young mom and she lived uh -huh. close by. In fact, when my oldest, when she was like two and a half, got really sick and was hospitalized. And she was in the hospital for at least two nights. And my father and mother commuted. They didn't live at the time. They were living like an hour away, but they worked right by the hospital. In fact, my dad's school, where he was an assistant principal, you could probably walk from the hospital to a school. Uh -huh. Yet they never came. They didn't come after work to the hospital. Wow. They yeah. went home and they never babysat for me. I think one time I remember my ex-husband and I went to a wedding overnight and my oldest was like 10 months old and she spent the night with them and I was so worried something would happen, but they never helped me. And so you could then, go either way. Then you I'm like that as an example, or you could overdo it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Fortunately, my kids don't live close by. One's two hours away and 
She's like, my husband's on a business trip and it's going to be hard. And I'm like, well, I'll come down and stay with you for a couple nights. So I'm there for them. I think you do it because you felt what it was like not to have Yes. Let's just say you, you started out by saying these things get passed down. You only have one example and we are also different. So all those experiences have very different effects on how we parent. And it's very important. Let me just read you this one line. When I was writing the article for the Ethel, they made me get in touch with a therapist to validate everything. And I went back to the family therapist or the marital therapist that my husband and I went to. And he said this. So let me just find it because I think it is so true. If I can't find it, I'll just paraphrase it. We're talking about how we were parented so differently and how we parent our children differently. He insisted there's no common denominator for how to parent adult children. These relationships come in so many flavors, there can't be a common formula. The formula you arrive at depends on your child's personality, where they are in their life, whether they're married, living at home on their own and the relationship you have with your child. Parenting adult children challenges us to tolerate, even welcome, I love this expression, a delicious tension between yesterday's, today's, and tomorrow's evolution of what it means to be in a family. I think that's absolutely brilliant. I really do. Mm -hmm. We're the total of all of our experiences, and our kids are a total of their experiences, and then like we come together And there can be a lot of pain around that stuff when the expectations are different. Yeah, I realized, and going back to what you first said, is you got to look at yourself. Yeah. Because I controlled everything when my kids were younger. My ex-husband was very hands-off. And so even though I worked full-time, I was like the traffic cop and I did everything. I signed them up for stuff. I made the decisions. I bought their Christmas presents. I... Did everything. And a like, lot of help. women are like that. A yeah. lot of women are in that position. Soccer mom, but also like soccer coach, just very, very involved. And I realized that I have this controlling aspect to me. Mm-hmm. I want to have control. Mm-hmm. Where's that coming from? Why do I feel like I need to have control? Well, every human being does because yeah. if you don't have control, it's scary. A lot of stuff can be tied back to your childhood. I was mm-hmm. a latchkey kid at a very young age, very, mm-hmm. way too young, in fact, and went home to an empty house by myself. I was given so much responsibility at such a young age, which I'm kind of glad I was because it made me who I am. But at the same time, it also made me feel like I needed to be the doer and I couldn't trust anybody else to be the doer. Mm-hmm. So my oldest daughter married somebody like me. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, she had me as an example. It. She's used to it, yeah. And they say the, the kid takes the kind of the primary parent. enforcer, or the person that made the decisions in the family, and then they marry somebody because that's what they're comfortable with. Exactly. And so him and I getting us together in the beginning uh, was like knocking yeah. heads. <laughs> and it was after she had her second baby, and we had a big blowout fight. We were sitting down at a restaurant and I don't even remember what it was about, but I kind of got the vibe that he didn't want to be there. I'm sure he got the whole control vibe from me and he didn't like that. I didn't allow him to be the dominant one. He should be in the family, right? She's no longer part of my family. So you learned that lesson, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. And it was horrible. I felt awful and immediately wrote him an apology. He didn't answer for a while. 
but now we have a great relationship. And in fact, he because works. Because you know you're placed. You know what I thought? And that's what I said in the letter. I said, I do not want to interfere. And I think that's what we all need to do as parents of adult children. Oh. When there is a spouse involved, you have to allocate that your child is now that family. Absolutely. And that takes precedence Absolutely. over anything. Everything. Right. And I want my kids to be successful in their marriages and to try to insert yourself and go to your child and say, Molly, about their husband or their wife. That is like the worst thing you could do because then so they're I, put I, in I've the middle. That. I've yeah. seen that in every, all my research. So I would say, let's summarize a little bit for your listeners. <laughs> Number one Get out of your own pain and flip the script and start trying to put yourself in your kid's shoes. And number two, if your kid's in a relationship, that relationship takes precedence, butt out and keep your mouth closed. Yeah, that's hard. Unless it's something dangerous. Or go talk to your friends, as my daughter told Mm -hmm. me. Call your friend up. That is a great tip. Yes. Okay, so I, know I have my college besties on speed dial. I was a person like you. I'm really getting so much more mellow and we can talk about like the tools and everything, but it's so much less responsibility to not have to be responsible for everything. I don't know why we thought we ever did, but in this case, you really see the relationship improve. With my daughter, I don't really know about her daily life, but she lived in Philadelphia and she was like the top food writer in Philly. And she was the editor of the food newspaper in Philly. All her friends own restaurants or do PR. And so whenever I read the local paper, if there's an, any kind of article about what's going on in the food scene, she, I know she doesn't subscribe to the Philadelphia Inquirer. I text it to her. I get an immediate response. I don't get an immediate response from her pretty much about anything. So you have to know, what is it? Where mm-hmm. is that connection? Yeah. It's like going I like through that. a forest. Oh my God, I got to like go through, like, I want the connection to be this, but no, I mean, she thinks that she never writes back when I talk about this, but wow, she really likes hearing about the food. And then my son, it won't be a hundred percent, but you'll get a good probability if it's a social justice issue, because he's the social worker. He was in charge of a residence for homeless people. So if there's some kind of social justice issue, I'm going to connect with him around that. That might be our third truth. Find the things that your kids are interested in connecting around. If your kids mm, are interested that. around you babysitting, if your kids are interested around you taking them to a nice place to eat, whatever it is, find out what they want to connect around and put your emphasis on that. Yeah. My kids think very differently than me now. I raised them to think one way and now they're thinking <laughs> another way, but uh-huh. they have different like influences. They have their peers. Yeah. They have their, okay. they have their peers. They yeah. have their spouses. Yeah. They have a lot of external influences. And, and they're entitled to that. Yeah. And I think that is great. I would say in that case, steer away from those Absolutely. conversations. Do not connect just, around that. Yeah. It doesn't go in a positive place. <laughs> when the pandemic was going strong, I made the decision for myself not to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And that then, if you can imagine, nobody liked that. I've had a past with autoimmune issues. And so mm-hmm. there something in my gut was like, don't do it. Don't do it. Oh, I almost went sicker. and did it because my college roommate, she's a pharmaceutical sales rep. And she was hearing from the doctors about these results. And she was giving actually the vaccine. She even had her pregnant daughter get the vaccine, who is a nurse. You were afraid you were going to get sick. 
I was afraid that it would re-fire my autoimmune because that was one of the things that said it could do. My husband got the vaccine. Everybody around me got the vaccine, but I just didn't feel it was right for me. One of my daughters even told me that I was being selfish. Yeah. And I was like, is it selfish if I got really, really sick and then the burden was on you or that I died and you didn't have me as your mother or grandmother? And so I said, I'm not exposed to a lot of people. And what's funny is my vaccinated child gave me COVID the first time. (laughs) That's an example. Yeah. I have to give my kids credit because some kids didn't let their parents see their kids. I was so lucky that they were still embraced me and they still said, we still want to be with you. I think that that's a really great example for your listeners because you are entitled to the power over your own body. They're entitled to the power over their worries about their children It doesn't have to be like this war where you're going to kill each other or be so upset about it. As a grown-up, you have to say, if they wouldn't let you come visit, I have to live with that. Objectify these things and take all the emotion out of it makes life so much easier. Yeah. And also, I would say going forward, because there were some bad blood that was created and that with all this different stuff that was people were hearing and believing and opinions and that is water under the bridge right Mm -hmm. so mend those fences because we did the best we could with the information at the time and the best thing is to nurture those relationships and have positive experiences together exactly so you think we should get into the tools yes definitely (laughs) i want to make sure that i show all my tools yes is it okay if i start Absolutely. Okay. First of all, I read everything I possibly could about this subject. The really good author is Joshua Coleman, and he wrote a book called When Parents Hurt. He's an excellent resource for people. I also have this book that I I loved all of them. I got so much out of all of them. Walking on Eggshells by Jane I-S-A-Y. And she... I think that her boys didn't talk to her because she went through a divorce and she was like me, like, oh, it's not that bad. They had two parents that loved them, all that kind of stuff, but it actually, it really affected the relationship. This one is called Done With The Crying. First of all, it's so comforting to know that this is happening to other people. And the websites I write for, there are constantly articles on estrangement. But when I was in the thick of it, I didn't know that. I wasn't in a community. There was like no community for me. But now Mm. I like 60 and me. That's a really good community. And to hear other people's stories about why this happens. And it's always the same. We don't understand, but it's so painful. That's what it is. And then this one is about, it's like a library remainder, but it was really good. It's called, I Thought We'd Never Speak Again. Mm. Those were good, but th- this was, this is my main tool. <laughs> it's my binder. Okay. Yeah. So I have a binder. Like, I didn't know what to do with all these feelings. I was like suffering so much. So I created uh, a binder. I'm like an armchair Buddhist. And it says here, the way is not in the sky, the way is in the heart. And I would copy emails between family members that I thought were significant. This is all about like your personal evolution. I was actually shocked because when I looked at this stuff for this podcast, I was shocked what was there. And so so you've been keeping this binder since? For years. (laughs) I don't add to it too much anymore because I'm not really in that stage. Let me interrupt while you're doing looking. I think that is really important because 
somebody might be listening that thinks, oh my gosh, she's been doing that for years. It's too late for me to start. It was the time period. It was yeah. that critical time period. Yeah. Did, so if you're in it, it was a couple of years. Yeah. If you're in it, <laughs> I do was for a couple of years. Yeah. So, well, so you're kind of, I'm a teacher. And when I read the book, I, I'm not going to just read the book. I'm taking notes. And then after I take my written notes, then I type them up because that's how it sticks. So all the books that I've read, all the articles, all everything online where I got some ideas, I typed up notes and put them in the, the book. Honestly, I never really looked at them after I did it. But I believe I do know, I know about how people learn and things stick. If you're giving it like a look, a read, uh, a handwritten note, and then a type, it's going to stick more. Yeah. Writing retains. Well, I've gone to events and they've said, write things down. They don't even want us to use a computer because they said the act of writing by hand, you retain longer and you Absolutely. retain more. Yeah. So in this binder are quotes from readings, the subjects that I went through, some of them had to do with my father, anger, feeling emotions. There's like an exercise in trying to take someone else's perspective, forgiveness. I have letters that I actually wrote to my son, then, and I have letters to family members that I never wrote. They, you have therapists that say, write them a letter, but don't send it. But I think my first therapist never told me not to send it, and I sent it. <laughs> but I have all kinds of letters to people. When I first retired, I like told everybody off in my family how they were driving me crazy, and I can't stand them all, but I didn't send it. I have uh, a question. Which, yeah. What if someone is resistant to writing things down, writing the letter she's never going to send, uh, documenting things that resonate with her from a book she's read? but is afraid that somebody will find it. Oh, I know. I think this binder, I need to get it out of my house because <laughs> it would wreak havoc. And I was, we were talking about this on a coaching call recently that I had with my students. And so I thought about it. I thought if it were me, I think I would ask somebody that I know really well and trust, like one of my college besties and say, hey, I have this thing. I'm putting it in a box with your name on it and do this for me are you talking about like when you die yes i think i'm ready to that you you're okay with people seeing it after you go no i think oh. i'll throw it away but how do you know though it was what, like if, you, you oh, drop dead and you don't know yeah yeah i have thought about this a lot because every time we go away i have like a book it's like a little book that's made for your plans after you die. And I leave it on the dining room table just in case. <laughs> My mother thought, used to send us an envelope with yeah, some stuff exactly on it. Exactly, that kind of yeah. thing. And I thought about this binder and I thought, well, you know what? If they find it, they'll know the process that I went through. Just like I told you today, I wasn't going to say anything about them that I'd be embarrassed about. I don't really have anything in here that I'm embarrassed about because it was all done out of love. Mm. There's no like, uh, this guy's a son of a bitch and I hope he dies. Just yeah. like that. There's like Tick Not Han in there. Yeah, they might understand you better. Yes, exactly. So I do plan if I have any control before I die to get rid of it because I just, that's like a Buddhist idea to just get rid of everything. It's all temporary. But if they did happen to find it, I don't have anything to be ashamed of because it's so obviously done out of love. Let's turn the table, okay? Let's say you went to your daughter's house and you just happened to open a drawer and you saw a binder about all this work she did around your relationship. Wouldn't you be happy? Mm. 
Even yeah. if she said, my mom, you would be shocked at the things she might say about you because we can never know. But wouldn't you be happy that she put so much time into your relationship? Yeah. I do think that whoever finds it and reads it <laughs> needs to be a little evolved. Yeah, that's true. In their personal well, development, are, because I think, I think my kids are evolved. I, I yeah. think my kids. Are yeah, yeah. So I think yeah. that needs to be taken into consideration. So yeah, but that's great. Some people don't, they're not writers, but all of the tools that are suggested for personal growth involve writing and reflection. So if you don't want to write, maybe you can do it on the, a little video thing, an audio thing in your phone or whatever, but you've got to, to process something. There has to be some kind of product, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I you like can always do a video that explains if you find this, I want yeah. you to know. I love you. I needed to do this to process my feelings. You could put the little sticker right on the book. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. See, you're younger, a little younger than me. At my, now that I'm in my 70s, I'm like fine with if they find it. And I would prefer to throw it out mm. because it's already served its purpose. Yeah. It's already served its purpose. That's the point I want to make. It's so valuable. And to not do it is not allowing you to go through a wonderful process that needs to happen. Right. And the chances, I would say, if you're on a swaying things, the value so surpasses like, oh my God, what if she finds it? You know what I mean? Like the mm -hmm. value is so heavy and the, the chances if somebody finds it and gets mad are so remote, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really. Yeah. It's funny. I, I highlight stuff when I read it, but I don't journal on it or I don't take notes on it. Mm -hmm. And that is something that has given me an idea because I think that is a really good next step to take what you read. So we say you read it. Actually, the highlighting is another step to make it stick. I was a reading specialist. You'll have to mm -hmm. humor me. <laughs> and I write little notes. I'm more of a paper person versus a no, no, that's, like that's, audio or a, a, a that makes it stick it really yeah. does but mm -hmm. then this is taking it to another level we teach kids in high school or in college that if you really want things to stick you got to write things down yeah so anyway so I'm, I'm going through the tools so you that you saw the binder you saw the books read everything you can on the subject there's a lot around it's which is so wonderful and i would add join a community if you can the 60 and me community or like uh, done with the crying. I think she's got a little community. This is super important. And I'm telling you, this is like maybe our third truth or whatever. If you're keeping track, create a fuller life for yourself. I felt like being sad about my kids was like the main thing going on in my life. Now I feel like I have such a full life by not being so upset about them all the time. It freed me up to do your podcast. <laughs> it yeah. freed me up to be a writer about retirement. But I was constantly like, oh, it just took up all my bandwidth. Yeah. So creating a fuller life and having friends to discuss this with is way better than discussing any of that stuff with your kids. Yeah. When you stop dwelling on it and instead learn from it, you can be of service to others. Exactly. That's what, what this is. That's what, yeah, this, what we're exactly. doing right now. Mm -hmm. And the last thing, I have a real good quote for the end. So just give me one minute. One and I have a tip too. To, to okay. Of course, of course. Be grateful for what your kids can give, even if it feels limited. 
just be grateful from what that little skinny connection is or a, a big cord. Some people have just a great connection with their kids, but it varies. I think it varies from stage to stage of adult children because they themselves are going through all different stages. And just be grateful, even if it's really skinny at the moment, at least there's a cord between you. And, and they tell you in the books, never give up. Like when they weren't talk, when she wasn't talking to me, I always send her things, little gifts from time to time, nice emails, letters, cards, all that stuff. Yeah, that's great to can play that game. And when somebody doesn't speak to you, it's kind of your reaction is I'm not going to talk to them. Yeah. And so the fact that you did that probably helped her get through that time more quickly. You want them to know they're loved. You yes. want them to know that you are not going anywhere. But you can't, what this hacks lady says, I love this quote. She says, being parented against one's will. Nobody wants to be parented against one's yes. will. It, yes. it has to be like, low key. Yes. And that's what advice giving, unwarranted advice exactly. giving is. Yeah, right. So and that's one thing that's been like hard it. for me as a parenting adult kids and see mm -hmm. them as parents is when I go and visit, I want to say, why are you doing that? Or yeah. <laughs> when, when you were little, I did this. One is the whole going to bed routine. I would like go, good night and close the door. Uh, and, they have like and they're a like, a, it's a two hour ritual. Yeah. And so it's like, they're reading all the parenting books. They're yeah. probably yeah. a lot more educated than I was. And they probably have problems because I didn't sit in bed with them for two hours. Yeah. yeah. That I didn't, I, I wasn't mom. there. Because mm -hmm. of your mom, because that wasn't your role model. Mm -hmm. No, no. no. So I have one tip and then we can wrap up. Okay. What I share with my students is we go through this process where they identify their automated negative thoughts and we turn them and reframe them into positive empowering thoughts. We call them ants. Okay. We take our ants and turn them into pets. <laughs> it's very important because they're essentially affirmations, positive affirmations, but they're not generic. They're customized to them. What's going on in their that head. Uh -huh. Yes. And when they I mean, can you give me an example? Because that's new to me. OK, so <laughs> I am so stupid. Why uh, did I do yeah. that? I don't understand. I just can't do anything right. Right. You say I have the ability to learn new things. Oh, uh, nice. You reframe it and it's positive and it's yeah, like, I'm sorry for what yeah. I did. Yeah. I have to repeat that by taking a more informed path forward. Kind yeah. Of thing. yeah. But the, cool. one of the tricks is you have to put it in the present tense as if you already are doing that. Oh, okay. Because then it creates a new identity. You're basically brainwashing exactly. yourself to believe that. I like it. it. And so when people say, well, I don't have this good relationship with my daughter-in-law and I want her to change because, <laughs> you know, she would be much better if, and or she never calls me. I always call them and I don't get to watch my grandchildren enough and blah, blah, blah. So they want to write pets to change somebody else's way of thinking. And I right, said, because that's, that's natural. And I'm like, no, you need to change what you believe. So if you think the relationship is crappy, create a pet that talks about the great relationship you have. Right. And it's so hard because it's like, ah, uh, yeah, but I want not, yeah, yeah. It, it won't be. It won't be because they're doing this thing. And I'm like, it won't be because you don't believe it could be. <laughs> well, you well, have your belief. To, yeah. Uh, your show me. Uh, give me an example. I'll give you an example. 
So the belief okay. is so ingrained that you have a bad relationship that the yeah. way you're behaving and your actions align with your beliefs. Yeah. And so all you have to do, what do you want? What do you want? Well, I would like to have more communication. I would like to yeah, be able to babysit like to my, hear, I want to hear yeah, yeah. what you I would like to go to lunch more often. So, okay. I have a great relationship with my daughter-in-law and I love that I get to babysit my granddaughter every week. It's not true. Yes, but it can be true if you believe mm -hmm. it to be. Oh, I see. You say that to yourself every day, your behavior towards that person is going to change. Okay. And guess what? That person will pick up on it because we're all energy and we all yeah. have, it's all about nonverbal. And Absolutely. I have had success with, with my that. students where it's like, guess what? My daughter-in-law <laughs> called me. I brought my granddaughter over. I mean, this is crazy. And I'm because like, yeah. she's not so negative anymore. Yeah. yeah that's but you great. have to do it every day. Yeah. You have to I, repeat that I, mantra every day. It. Yeah. I believe it. But I it works. It. So great tip. Yeah. Read and, and, and the, research It's the and dailiness stuff. of anything to change your behavior. And that's why like I have a morning routine where I meditate for 15 minutes and I have these books that I read and that has really changed my behavior because these books, like they are examples of things that I needed to change. And it's the dailiness that's so important. And in fact, all right, so got to hold this up. I also put like these positive affirmations up in my office so like this one says she's holding an have, index card for those yeah, on, an index on card with the quote yeah do you have the patience to wait till your mud settles and the water is clear can you remain unmoving till the right action arises by itself which is a buddhist thing practice not doing and everything will fall into place hmm. and i had these everywhere i don't have them around any, anymore they're in my binder but they sure did because this is the dailiness yeah reminder don't do anything don't do anything you have come so far it sounds like and that's so I, amazing yeah. and here's a good ending quote if you're ready do you have anything yes. else you read nope. okay it's from some indian monk i don't know who never give anyone more than they're emotionally capable of receiving or they will have no choice but to hate you. We want to give our kids all this attention, maybe even give them too much stuff. What are your adult children capable of receiving from you? It might be just a little bit right now. So try to figure that out. Where is the connection between you? You have this yearning for this huge connection that looks like a cable with a million wires, and they maybe will connect to you on like a gossamer thread and the relation starts building if you can just make that one little connection and hold back. Yeah. You just have to let go and not burden them. My mom used to always say, I don't want to be a burden to you. <laughs> I think that's every parent's dream, but what is a burden? Maybe yeah, ask your children scary. what a burden is because there are different degrees of burdenism and so my mom ended up in assisted living and after my dad died, she just kind of checked out. And so she didn't ever want to become a burden, but the fact that she wouldn't live her life and follow her dreams. And after my dad died, find something that she was passionate about, not someone, but something. Right. That would have been the best way to not be a burden. Right. And so as a parent, it's our responsibility to move on and allow our kids to live their lives. Right. And to take care of yourself. And yes, be an example. Exactly. Yeah.
good. So, well, this was so much fun. It was. <laughs> I think there were some good things that came out that could be helpful to people. Yes, yes. <laughs> and please reach out to Rini if you want any guidance from somebody who's been there and done that. And I'll put in the show notes the links to the books that she shared. Thank you so much. All right. Bye now.